Well, hey, everyone. I was uh, just thinking about this coming in today. We are one week after Easter, and, and I don't know if it's been the same for you, but this has been the weirdest Easter season ever, I swear. For those of us especially in church work or who are regular churchgoers, I mean, doing this whole like Holy Week shelter in place, and especially here at Fellowship of Faith, um, normally on a Sunday like this, I am like utterly exhausted. This is like hangover Sunday in church world. We've just come through Easter season, and we're all showing up that Sunday afterwards just kind of like, like, like dragging ourselves through by sheer act of will. And I don't know about the same for you, but for me, I have never been more energized in my life the Sunday after Easter than I am today. We got done with this last week and kind of went home and it was just like, whoa, we didn't do like 18 services and we didn't start at like 5 a.m. and we weren't out doing like sunrise by bonfires and 32 degree weather and you know, things like that. And uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you're still an Easter hangover right now. Maybe, maybe you're similar to the rest of us where, where no, it, it took a different pace and you're tuning in with us today and there's still a drive. And I wanna get on that, that, that trajectory today, that this drive, because the cool thing about Easter is that even though for a lot of us who attend churches, where it feels like it's the end, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, we've hit it, we've achieved, we've arrived, we're done. For God, Easter was never the end. It was the beginning. It was a starting point for something brand new, less like a graduation and more like the new chapter of a new day or better put, a new age. For us, Easter, it's often a day. It's a day that we gather with family and we go to brunch and we might do the church thing if that's part of our culture and do the Easter egg hunt, but, but it's kind of a day and then we look forward to the next day, the next year. And for Christians too, Easter often feels like just a day. I mean, it's an important day, don't get me wrong. But yes, we've celebrated the day, we've commemorated the day, and then we kind of get on with it back to normal until that day comes around to remember the next year. But that is not the way that the Bible approaches Easter. When the New Testament talks about Easter, no, it talks about something deeper, richer, more, more life-changing, more paradigm-shifting. It talks about it as the beginning of nothing short of a new age of God operating in a new way and planet Earth and bringing it to a new Place And what I want to talk to you about today is the future that Easter sets in place. Now here at Fellowship of Faith, we, we put a lot of stock in the Bible. You know, for me, this has always been a, well, it's been more than a book. It's a book, but it's more than a book. For me, it's always been something that's, that's gone deeper. It's something that, that has been powerful to me, insightful to me, a place that I would go to find not just answers, but 
perspectives, wisdom, to find insight into not just church or not just Christianity, but into life itself, the cosmos itself. It's, a, it, it's something that, for me, is filled with, with revelation. Meaning God is showing me something here. And throughout my life, it's often served in that kind of role, even at the times when I found it utterly boring, even in the times when I've not really understood what I was reading, even in the times when I was just kind of going through the motions with it because I knew that was what I was supposed to do and people told me that was kind of where God was going to speak to me. Even in those times, there's been something there, but let's face it, and maybe you've struggled this with with this yourself. It's a big book. And it's complicated, and it's hard, and it's confusing, and it can be even infuriating at times. It has a way of just kind of like messing us up, saying things we don't want it to say. And, and putting the pieces together throughout this book, the characters, the storylines, the metaphors, all these things that are floating out from different times and authors and places, it can be the most confusing, difficult thing to go, how do I make sense of what God is trying to say? All this year at Fellowship of Faith, we've been looking at something that has tied those loose ends together for me. All the school year at Fellowship of Faith, we've been talking about this, this concept, this idea called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the unifying principle of the Bible, the message of Bible, the ministry of Jesus, the hope of the world. When I discovered the theme and thread of the kingdom of God. It was like the loose ends of this book started getting pulled together and making sense. Bringing kind of a bigger picture to the whole and all this year we've been looking at this kingdom God as a unifying theme of what God is up to in this world and the message that he's trying to bring to you and me. If you've been with us these past several months, we've been camping in this New Testament book, a gospel called Mark, which is all about God's invasion, bringing his kingdom into this, it's breaking in, you know what I mean? It's like his kingdom is in heaven and he's bringing it here to earth with Jesus leading the way and ushering it in. And if you've been with us, you've seen that through the gospel according to Mark, We have instance after instance after instance of the kingdom of God breaking in. It's like, it's here. It's in front of us. It's among us. Or as Jesus would put it, it's upon you. And it can be really easy to start to think that the kingdom of God is now. That it's here and it's present among us. And from a certain perspective, that's true. But these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God from another perspective, another perspective that Jesus talks about, another perspective that the New Testament talks about, another perspective that I think you and I both sense, and that's that the kingdom of God might be here in some sense, but in another sense, it really isn't yet. That it isn't now, but the kingdom is future. 
and what we're going to be talking about these next several weeks, starting today, is what we're looking forward to. What God is still up to, what surprises he still has in store, what he is yet to bring, and what therefore shapes the hope, the confidence, and the faith for those who believe in him and dare to risk calling on his name. And I want to start today with what might be the most central future aspect and biggest misconception about the future hope that we have. I think you ask the average person, Christian or non-Christian, it doesn't matter. What their hope is, and I don't mean their hope tomorrow, I don't mean their hope in 20 years, I don't mean their hope in some specific relationship or life goal, what I don't mean is hope here in this lifetime, but no, the hope after this life? What is it we hope for when death comes? What is it we hope for when our life comes to an end? What is it that we hope for that goes beyond the confines of just the 60, 70, 80 some odd years that we hope and pray God blesses us with? And ask the average person, Christian, non-Christian alike, the hope I think is this, Heaven. I think just about everyone, even those who don't believe there's anything beyond this life, do still in some way hope for heaven. You'll hear Christians talk this way sometime. That our hope is heaven, that we are but strangers here and heaven is our home. That there's one goal and that goal is heaven. And that the purpose of life almost seems to be to endure this time now, which pales in comparison for a glory that's beyond a glory we call heaven. And what I want to tell you today and confront you with today is that if heaven is your hope, According to Jesus, you have put your hope in the wrong place. Now, over the 20-some odd years I've been doing professional ministry, I have done a lot of funerals. A lot of funerals. And there's one kind of universal truth that I found at virtually every single funeral that I've ever been to, and it's this. People have no idea what to say. Find yourself in that place. You hear of someone close to you, or maybe someone you work with, or someone close to you and it's a relative of theirs, whether it's someone close and intimate or someone who's more removed, but you ever find yourself in that place, you show up, you go to the wake or you go to the funeral or you get the news and you find yourself in that room and the family's there and there's some people that are grieving deeply and there's some people that are in the corner talking and there's some people downstairs snacking and there's other people over there laughing and you find yourself in the midst of this going, I don't even know what to say. And you find yourself walking in that line up to the most immediate family at that casket and you got to say something. I mean, you're not just going to kind of sit there and go, 
and I mean, move on, right? I, I mean, you, you find yourself in that place and it's like, oh. What do you say? And, and I found this happens so much that people will start to talk with language kind of like this. Oh, you know, he's, he's in a better place. You know what? He is having so much fun right now. Oh, wow. You know, she's walking again. She's running again. She's playing again. She's dancing again with her friends. Oh, you know what? Can you imagine what it's like that he's out on the lake fishing again right now? Or you, you hear this put all kinds of ways. Maybe you've said stuff like this. Maybe you've had stuff said like this to you, but it always kind of strikes me in those moments. When I'm standing there by that casket and the person is clearly in it and they're talking about the person walking again and I'm kind of like going, I don't really think they're walking, their legs are right here. Now, I'm not an idiot. I know that when people talk this way, they're saying it metaphorically and they're trying to capture language to describe something that we can relate to that helps us to experience the joy and the hope and the peace that we, we think or hope or know that they have. But it's strange, isn't it, the way we talk about heaven, think about heaven in very tangible, physical ways. And when, when we're kind of forced to it, when, when we're kind of pinned down on it, trying to explain how it works and what it's like, we, we find that language just isn't there, that a, that a conceptual frame of reference isn't helping us. And it kind of falls apart at some level. But I think all of us are intuitively tapping into something that the hope and promise Jesus has given of the future is something greater than heaven. It's something better than heaven. It's something Jesus himself experienced because the bedrock hope of the kingdom of God that Jesus brought and the message that he preached is this, it's not heaven. As wonderful as heaven might be, no, it's something greater it's resurrection. What the Bible pictures as to come is not just some disembodied state where our soul gets to go and be with Jesus while our body rots in the ground, but a day that is to come when all things will be made new. Every human being and this earth that we live in too, it's a day that they call resurrection not just moving on, but coming back. Coming back, restored and renewed to the way it's supposed to be. No, make no mistake, the hope that the Bible presents is something so much better than heaven. The hope is a resurrection for you and for me. I dare you in this, search the pages of the Bible and you will find it says relatively little about heaven. 
And all the letters of Paul, it makes up half the New Testament. I think you can find at most three, maybe four references to heaven. And they are fleeting. They're things simply like this, where Paul will say, yeah, I depart to go with Jesus because it's better by far. What does he tell us about heaven? It's better by far. I'm really happy to hear that, don't get me wrong. But it's not a lot to go on, is it? I think of when Paul describes the second coming of Christ. And just in passing, he, he mentions those who are coming with Jesus. So those who depart now seem to be with him. Don't get me wrong, I'm so glad to hear that. The hope that can be extracted from that little line is incredible, but it still doesn't give a lot to go on. Heaven is better by far. Heaven is a time with Jesus. But check this one out, and I love this reference by Paul in 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about heaven as being naked. That when you're in heaven, you're naked. You're without your metaphorical clothes. You know what those are? This body you find yourself dwelling in. Imagine what it's like to have to go to church naked. Now imagine it for thousands of years until Christ comes again, exposed before everyone in eternity. Yeah, I'm naked up there. I don't know how I feel about that one. And I really don't know about how I feel seeing some of you that way either. (laughs) Heaven is about that much of the hope that we have. But start reading this thing. The pages of the Gospels, the pages of Paul's letter, the pages of the New Testament... And the hope of a resurrection drips off the pages in ways that are insane compared to the hope that we place in heaven instead. Let me read this passage to you. I shared it with you on Easter, and I just want to frame it again. Paul writes, if Christ is in you, You're dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, catch this line, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give give life to your mortal bodies. Give life to what? Your bodies. Your mortal bodies. That the hope that God extends to you is that no matter how much this decays, no matter how much this fails and falls apart, no matter how much this winds down, and no matter the fact that it eventually dies, the kingdom of God is coming. And when it comes, it sets all things new. And that means bodies coming back to life. That means a resurrection for me and for you. That just as Jesus raised from the dead, 
The hope extended by Jesus is that anyone who calls on his name will be raised to. And not just spacewalking in some cloudy, ethereal heaven. No, that he comes to return, to bring heaven to earth. How does Jesus say to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that he's bringing it to earth, that God's goodness is coming to earth, that God's hope is coming to earth, that God's kingdom is coming to earth to make this world that we live in, this world that we love, this world that is decaying and falling apart and winding down, to make it new too. That all these hopes that we cling to don't just have to be metaphors. Not just some figurative sense of talking about walking and dancing and running and playing again someday. Know that Jesus says the day will come when I will return. When I will come to set all things right again and the dead will be raised. And these bodies that we have will be raised too. Renewed with souls no longer naked in eternity. But living as God intended us to live with him for eternity. Man, that's a hope I can grab onto. That's a hope that can stir me. That's a hope that starts to shift everything I start to think about what eternity has in store for me and for you. That God offers you the chance to come back from the dead like Jesus did. Think about those stories for just a minute. Those stories of Jesus raised from the dead. You know, for a lot of my childhood, I didn't really grasp it. Truth be told, for a lot of my young adulthood, I didn't really grasp it. Yes, I know we would talk about he raised from the dead. I knew we talked about how the tomb was empty, but I still kind of had this mindset that what it meant was that his soul came back in some way, but that his body, well, who knows what happened to it along the way. But make no mistake, read it for yourself. Read the last chapter of each gospel. Jesus came back. Back from the dead. Physically. Tangibly. Corporeally, if I can use the phrase. That when his disciples met him, they could touch him. That there was something real and fleshy there. That when his disciples saw him, he still bore the wounds, the marks of his life. Allowing them to even put their hands in his scars, in his hand and in his side. That when he sat before them, he ate. There was something real and physical, but better about him, transformed, renewed, changed, no longer enslaved by the decay of sin and an inevitable 
victim of death, but transformed and renewed to the way God intended humanity to be in the beginning. Truer human, more human, more in line with what God has called humanity to be. And what he experienced is the same hope for me and you. The New Testament will say that Jesus was the first fruits among the dead of those who had fallen asleep, the first of many to come, the first of a crop of a resurrection that awaits, the first in God's new age of his in-breaking kingdom that we still await to come in its fullness at the end all the way. This is the future God invites us to hold on to. A future he promises us. A way of looking by which he wants us to orient our lives. This is the hope of the kingdom to come. And we wait. We wait for that day when Christ will come again. We wait for that day when the power of sin and decay in death is broken. We wait for the day when the weaknesses and the frailties that we face are no longer. And God transforms and renews this creation he loves into a resurrected place. And I tell you, that hope, it's better than heaven. Let me leave you with a passage. It's one that I read at funerals all the time. And it's not a picture of heaven, but a picture of the resurrection to come. Let me share it with you. John writes in his revelation, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Don't let the significance be missed. The first heaven will pass away. The first earth will pass away. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, these words, they're trustworthy, and they're true. 
He said to me, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. That's God's promise to you.